It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Monday, July 19th, 2021. I'm Guy Benson. This is the Guy Benson Show coming to you live from New York City. I'm here, as I mentioned last week, filling in for Kennedy on Fox Business Network. Tonight is my final evening fulfilling that duty. Fox Business Network, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Hope to see you there on TV. Here on the radio side, we've got a packed show for you today. A new broadcast week. We are ready to go. I should mention that our website is GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast is always free, including bonus Benson on the weekends. And if you listen to Bonus Benson this past weekend, you know that producer Christine, a.k.a. Cookie, has been on vacation for quite a long time, actually. And that vacation continues today, but I'm told that she is actually going to show up for the home stretch. So possibly the return of Cookie, producer Christine, at the end of the show. So that's something to look forward to. Also a warning. Just, you know, an advisory, a parental advisory out there. That Christine is coming back. The rest of the show is as follows. Jessica Tarloff joining me this hour here in studio. Looking forward to that conversation with Jesse. Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican of Tennessee. She's going to be here talking about big tech, censorship, misinformation, the White House's involvement. I think that's actually a very interesting and tricky conversation. Brad Thor will also be my guest. He's a friend. He's also a monster hit. When it comes to his thrillers, he's an author, spy thrillers, action thrillers. It's his 20th novel in this series with Scott Harvath, his main character. It is out tomorrow. Black Ice. I've read it cover to cover. I got an advanced copy. We will talk about it with Brad because, as usual, it actually focuses in on and deals with a lot of reality. He mixes fact and fiction in ways that are sometimes a little bit disturbing because you're not sure where one begins and the other ends. But that's part of the genius of Brad Thor's books. It's why they're all huge bestsellers. And I have full confidence that Black Ice will be no exception when it hits bookstores tomorrow. As we get going here, let's bring you a Fox News alert and stats on coronavirus. The case count in the United States has eclipsed 34 million. And we know why that's a lowball estimate. I will point out that over the last two weeks, the change in the trajectory here is an increase of 140% in new cases in the United States. Now, it's still relatively small, sort of a blip if you look at the huge curve, right, over the course of the entire pandemic. It's still pretty far down there, but we've seen in some of the other places getting hit by the Delta variant, the Indian variant, once that variant becomes dominant in a place, cases go up. And I'll have more to say about that in just a second. The death toll, 608,189 Americans have died from COVID-19 thus far. The Dow is taking a beating today. 
It has plunged well over 800 points, currently down 853 points. Why? Well, because the markets seem to be spooked by COVID and what's happening on that front. People are starting to get concerned about the Delta variant. What does this mean? There are examples cropping up, maybe more frequently, of breakthrough infections. People who are fully vaccinated who are getting COVID anyway. So, for example, the UK health minister, who's, of course, double vaxxed, he tested positive. These Texas Democrats, this little stunt that they're on to Washington, D.C., their field trip, which I saw is going to cost $1.5 million, is the estimate that one of the members actually put out there. They claim it's going to be all from, like, donors in the caucus, not from taxpayers in Texas. But Texas Republicans are saying, well, hang on, we're holding a special session to pass legislation. You're avoiding allowing the special session to accomplish anything. That's a huge waste of taxpayer money. Also true. But a number of those Texas Democrats over the weekend tested positive for COVID. I saw, I think the list is now up to five. All five of those Texas Democrats, remember they were the ones, no masks on the plane, which you and I can't do, but they did. I guess that was a super spreader event. Their little chartered private jet to Washington, D.C. to avoid doing their jobs. They were drinking Miller Lite and having a great time and casting themselves as like the new heroes of the civil rights movement. Just crazy and insulting. But I guess there was a little super spreader event within this group as well. Rich Eisen from the NFL Network, he's got a breakthrough infection. There's a Republican congressman I just saw from Florida, double-vaxxed. He's got a breakthrough infection. So you're starting to see some of these stories. So I get why some people are freaking out, because people tend to freak out. And the media often is complicit in this. And they are more than happy to get the clicks and the eyeballs and everything to feed the frenzy. Here's my take on it. And you might call it a cold take. I'm not going to have a hot take here for you. I want to deal with this sensibly based on data and what we actually know. The Delta variant, which everyone's talking about, it's just COVID. It's not some souped up extra toxic version of COVID. It's just COVID. Now, it is more contagious. That seems very clear. So it is spreading faster. And it is spreading particularly among unvaccinated people. There's an Axios story. There's stories all over the place, in fact, today, talking about how this is now a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Because if you look at new cases, hospitalizations, and deaths, it's 97 to 99 plus percent affecting unvaccinated Americans. Now, does that mean that I am browbeating you into getting vaccinated if you haven't already? And that I'm shaming you if you haven't? No. Am I trying to persuade you to change your mind and go get vaccinated? Yes, of course I am. I've, I've explained why I've gotten vaccinated, that decision process. I am more confident in that decision than I ever have been. Think about how many tens upon tens of millions of Americans have gotten vaccinated and it is safe, right? The 
the fears that there would be all these huge side effects and there'd be buyer's remorse. That has not played out because the vaccines are safe and effective. Now, how can you say they're effective if you have these breakthrough cases? I'll explain that. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I am not being an alarmist. What I don't want to do is overstate the risk to try to sound very scary to tell all of you unvaccinated people to get with the program and go get the shots. I would love for you to go get your shots. I think you should for a number of reasons that I've explained many times. And I will explain again. But it's worth remembering the full context. Already, COVID-19 has a death rate of less than 1%. Now, that's still a lot of people because people contract this, and if it's a highly contagious version of it, you just do the math. You're going to get needless deaths and suffering, but you still have a well over 99% chance of getting COVID if you get it and surviving it. And the chances of your survival are even higher the younger you are with fewer other health complications. And the good news is, in our country... We correctly prioritized, with the lead in places like Florida from Governor DeSantis, we correctly prioritized the elderly and people with significant pre-existing conditions. They were first in line for these vaccines. So the risk overall is lower in a lot of very important ways than it was certainly before we had the vaccines. It's not like, oh, all, all of a sudden there's this Mount Everest of new cases and people are dying left and right and the hospitals are filling up. That's not happening, which is why I oppose the reinstitution of massive restrictions across the board and mask mandates for people who are you know, vaccinated. I don't think we need to overreact because the reality is still the reality. And in many ways, the reality is more favorable than it has been earlier in the pandemic, even with this more contagious variant, right? So please do not accuse me of being an alarmist or trying to fear monger or manipulate you because I want to be, I, I be candid and have a real conversation and acknowledge points and counterpoints. But here's the counterpoint. When you look at 97 to 99.6, I believe, percent of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths, and I'm especially interested In deaths, when those are overwhelmingly among the unvaccinated, those are the people who are at the greatest risk. It may be, in the scheme of things, a relatively low risk. Although, as I will remind you, part of my decision process, part of my rational uh, rationalization, probably rationale is the better word, for getting myself vaccinated was there are side effects that are very unpleasant even if you survive. Right, like I didn't think I was going to get COVID and die, but there are plenty of young people who got COVID and had long-haul symptoms for months, which sounded miserable. And there are other longer-term side effects for your neurological health, your heart health, and other things. I just didn't want a part of that. I wanted to protect myself against those things, not getting the thing and going to the hospital and dying. That was extremely rare, almost vanishingly rare, or a non-existent chance for someone of my profile for that to happen to. I got vaccinated anyway because of the other side effects and to help us get closer toward at least something approximating herd immunity. When you see the surges being reported now, and there's a chance that they will escalate because of the transmissibility of the Delta or Indian variant, when they are overwhelmingly affecting unvaccinated people, 
if you are in that group, yes, you are making a decision. If you're an adult, you've made a choice for yourself. I just think maybe it's a good time to rethink the decision. It's not like you've made the decision permanently. There are incredibly safe and effective vaccines, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, available all over the place for free. And with the Delta variant, and it's it's really circulating, especially not just among the unvaccinated, but in places where the vaccination levels are lower overall. That's where this stuff is happening, predominantly. I hope you will reconsider the choice. And I've written about it today at townhall.com. You can read some of it. I feel like waving and wagging the finger and scolding people and saying, look at these idiots. People actually have, I think, in many cases, fair, reasonable questions about the vaccines. And just sneering at those people isn't going to achieve anything. Here's the next point that I'll make briefly on this. For the vaccinated. Because as I mentioned, some of the high profile breakthrough cases are starting to creep into the headlines more and more. Does it mean that because of the Delta variant and the spread, more people are likely to get breakthrough cases? Perhaps. One of the common themes, whether it's from the prominent people that I mentioned or a few people that I know personally who've been double vaxxed and have breakthrough COVID cases, their symptoms range from non-existent to the mild side of moderate. That is the range that has been widely reported and that I have heard personally from people. Of course, there are the occasional exceptions with bad cases, but overwhelmingly what these vaccines prevent is serious illness, like hospitalization necessary illness, really bad cases and death. It is not perfectly, there was a study I think out of Israel that showed you've got 60 to 70% protection against infection at all, but you have in the mid to high 90s protection against hospitalization and death. So the protection about what really matters, the goal here is not to have like some mild symptoms and say, you know, oh my gosh, the vaccines have failed me. The whole point is to not get really sick or to die. And on those benchmarks, the most important benchmarks, the vaccines work miraculously well. Developed in record time in the Trump administration, Operation Warp Speed, it is like a modern day medical miracle. And the numbers are holding up on hospitalizations and death and serious illness, even in the face of this scary, everyone's talking about this scary Delta variant. The vaccines work. Now, get some breakthrough cases. If the symptoms are mild to non-existent, I know that seems counterintuitive, but that is an instance of the vaccine working. Someone who might have gotten much sicker or been bedridden or put on a ventilator is now heavily protected against this disease. And my whole thing is if you've got a new variant that's spreading very rapidly and it's affecting unvaccinated people overwhelmingly, protecting yourself by getting vaccinated seems like a good idea to me. That's just the case that I'm making. I'm also making a case not to lose our minds, not to freak out, not to lose all of the previous knowledge that we have gained during this pandemic because it's not a new virus. This is just a variant. It is not more pernicious. Let's stay the course. Let's get vaccinated. Let's not 
backslide or drift backwards on regulations and restrictions, especially among vaccinated people. Let's not overreact, but if you can make decisions in your life, don't underreact either. That's the information that I want to put out to start the show today. We will revisit that. We'll get to a whole lot more politics and beyond. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. Guy Benson will be right back. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. I'm Guy Benson. We are back. And just to pick up on one of those threads, I think part of responsibly taking the COVID pandemic seriously is treating it as such, but also not overreacting. And one of the things that I'm concerned about is some of the reaction to the Delta variant might lead usual suspects to start making demands about schools in the fall. I'm starting to get a little bit more worried about that. Because I think there's a likelihood of more spread because it's a very contagious variant. And then a bunch of officials and apparatchiks get freaked out. And it's like the the instinct is shut down, lock down. And that cannot be allowed to happen for schools. That would be a tragic overreaction that would be extremely harmful again to kids. And I say this as someone who's saying, please go get vaccinated. I don't think these are mutually exclusive. Some of you are like, you have to say all these things and be as freaked out as possible or you don't take it seriously or you've got people at the other end of the spectrum saying all the vaccines don't work. And No. Nuance and truth matter. And we try to navigate that here as best we can. Here's one more example of overreaction. So I mentioned the UK health minister has a breakthrough infection. Double vax has a very mild infection, mild symptoms. Boris Johnson, the prime minister over there, is now in isolation, right? He's gone into quarantine for a week because he came in contact with this guy. Boris Johnson had COVID. Remember, he was in intensive care. He survived COVID, thank God. So huge natural immunity. And he's double vaccinated. Boris Johnson has like superpowers against COVID, And yet, because it's the government rule, he's setting the example and he's going into isolation for a week, which kind of sends a message that natural immunity plus vaccinations don't really work. I think that's overreaction to the point of counterproductive. He doesn't need to isolate. He's safe from the virus. I know this is all tricky stuff and making decisions can be hard, but man, let's try to keep our heads even in a tough time. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Guy Benson Show. Live in New York City, it's The Guy Benson Show. Happy to have you along. New broadcast week. And joining me here in studio at Fox News headquarters in Midtown Manhattan, it's our friend Jessica Tarloff, Fox News contributor, head of research at Bustle. And she's a lib, but we allow her here anyway. 
Hello. Hello. Well, My friend. Welcome to New York. It is good to be back in New York. Uh, although people, I hear it now all the time, like people buzzing about Delta variant and yeah. people getting worried about things. I went, and I'll talk about it later in the show, I went to the movies over the weekend. <gasps> I wanted just to, to go, and I hadn't done it yet. How was it? Oh, it's, it's so fantastic. What'd you see? Well, I'm going to give my review. So here's a spoiler, folks, for in the happy hour. I'm going to give my review of F9, Fast and Furious 9. Oh, This okay. is only my second of the nine that I've seen. I, well, you don't need to see. No. It's, they, they're standalone giants, right? Sort of, but just <laughs> lunacy. Yeah. Lunacy, this movie. But just like action and dumb jokes and my soda and just be, no mask. It, it felt good, I have to say. What theater did you go to? Just in Times Square. Okay. Yeah, I just walked over. Was it like a nice seat one? It was pretty nice. Okay. And I, I also strategically, because I like on the app where you can pick, your seat. pick where your seat's yeah. going to be. So I saw where others were going to be. And of course, I wanted to be not near them. Um, so I like being not, of course, in the lower, like on the floor, cause then you're right. looking up, but I also like to be, if possible in that front row of the second deck, if you will, okay. because there's usually like a bar a railing. I can put my feet up, foot feet up on the railing, then lean back in the seat a little bit. And like my mind wandered from time to time during the movie, because you don't really have to pay attention to not for F9. No, the plot, <laughs> if you can call it that. Right. It's very, very kind to refer to a plot at all, but it was just comfortable. And I was like, oh, and I, I was like, I'm going to drink. I'm going to get a giant Coke Zero. Because if I drink all of it and I have to go to the bathroom, it doesn't matter because I'll like miss an explosion, but nothing. But that it'll important. be similar to the last explosion that just happened and the one that is to come it's three a, minutes that's later. A, that's exactly right. So it's not like, you know, a, a deeply cerebral film with subtitles with every nuance mattering. And you've got to, for these back to normal experiences, you've got to, pun intended, I guess, drink it all up. Yes. Right? Luxuriate like, in it. <laughs> totally. I, and, and never would I in my life really think of – because I, admittedly, and we've talked about this on the show before, going to see a movie, especially going to see a movie alone, yeah. can be just a very simple pleasure in life. Just right. to kind of – you get away from it all. Your phone has to be off. You're in this other world. you got the surround sound or whatever. You've got your soda. I resisted candy. I wanted candy so badly. Why didn't you have it? You I haven't was, been in the movies in 18 months. I was just being good, and I was like, I'll just get the, the soda. But, like, it was beyond just a simple pleasure this time. It was yeah. – it was. It felt very good. But to the point that we started to raise, I'm worried not really about the Delta variant. I'm worried about – People getting too worried about the Delta variant okay. and people starting to look around being like, are we really actually OK? I'm like, everything that we know about COVID is still true. We just know that the Delta variant travels faster, spreads more easily. It is not more insidious in terms of, you know, severity right. or you know, causing hospitalizations or death. And it's not some supercharged form of the virus. It's more transmissible. And if you're vaccinated – you are overwhelmingly safe from infection. And even if you get one of these breakthroughs, you are even more safe from a severe case or death. Like the status quo of what we have learned of all this accumulated knowledge, it doesn't change because of the Delta variant. But some people, it seems like they're talking about it as if it's a new COVID that's worse and worse. And we're all so nervous about it. I think that that's too much. 
So we live in a time of extremes, and we have for a long while. So people who are concerned and have been concerned about COVID are going to kind of take any opportunity to be hyper-concerned about it. Yes. And I think that the follow the science crowd, of which I am a part of, of the liberal variety, I know you're a science crowd on the, on the right side of things, not like the right, right side of things, just the politically right side of things. It's both. <laughs> um you know, we had to really put our foot down about taking our masks off, starting to eat indoors and all of that. Once the CDC director said you are vaccinated, it is safe now because there were a lot of liberals who wanted to continue to mask up in right. every opportunity. I remember when we had lunch, we talked about like how many masks there were still in Whole Foods when you don't have to wear your mask there. Right. And we know that if you're vaccinated, right. you're not going to you're going to have an asymptomatic case most likely if you do get it. But that you're walking around in Tribeca where I live or northern Virginia where you are with a 99 to 100% vaccinated crew, right, of shoppers at these Probably. stores. Maybe not quite that high, but in Tribeca high. I could at least speak for my neighborhood. I think it is that high. Okay. Because so many places have also required it. That if folks are going back to work, sure. whatever it is, and that it's part of the crusade to be in line with Fauci, right? Fauci says jump, you say how high. Time to get vaccinated. I want to be first in line for an appointment. And I was only like third, which pissed me off, but I got there. So the Delta variant is interesting because there's the personal concern that people have for themselves because they don't want it at all, even if it is going to be a low-grade case. But now we have this epidemic of the unvaccinated, which is what Biden calls it, Walensky, Scott Gottlieb as well. And that's just concerning on a national level because we're going to lose a lot more people that way. The ICUs, the hospital beds, I mean, I think there are no more beds or something like in Arkansas left because there are certain places with bad vaccination rates in the community where it's starting to get more concerning. It's a big spike, 36 percent. It's a spike. There, there's no question, but it's also nowhere near the peak. No. I think it's really bad in certain places, but still, like, I'm just trying not to – I am trying to walk a line right. of not overstating the risk but also not understating the risk because I think, frankly, a lot of people, right, left, and center, but I would say especially left, you may disagree, but I think you actually might agree – I think that there have been people throughout the pandemic who in some ways have overstated how bad it is and what the risks are. And like the sky is falling and you just wait two weeks and and everything's going to be going to hell. And over and over again, those didn't really pan out. And a lot of people – this is what I hear from some of my unvaccinated friends. They're like, look, in some cases I got it, so I have natural immunity. I already had it, so I don't want to – do a vaccine because I already had it. There are counterpoints to that, but it's a fair thing to say. Yeah. The other thing that they'll sometimes say is, look, I'm 32. I'm healthy. I don't have comorbidities. My survival rate already is 99 plus percent. I don't want to go and do this because I'm going to be fine regardless. Now, I made some of the counterpoints to that in my opening argument today about other factors, right. other long long haul symptoms, and and other bad side effects. Even if you don't, and die. passing it to other people who might not have as good of a position as you. Right. However, at a certain point, 
So again, not overselling, not underselling. Yeah. I want to acknowledge fair points that are made on this stuff. I think vaccination is the right way to go. I think they work incredibly well. They're obviously safe. I hope more people do it. If people are still going to say, no, I'm not going to do it, I don't think that the rest of us should have to mask up or do any sort of new policies or if they're going to you know, go back into limiting things in schools or whatever and, oh, you, you know, we're going to start closing down sporting events. Or I'm not certain that we're going quite that far yet. Right. I'm just – I'm nervous about that because I see people on hair trigger alert, to your point, to go – to the mats on this stuff. And I'm like, if people are making a choice not to get vaccinated, even if there is a an epidemic among unvaccinated people, I think the solution is try to persuade people to go get vaccinated. Right. Don't change the rules for everyone else because these people have made up their mind. And I don't want to sound callous or cruel like, oh, well, if you get it now and you didn't get vaccinated, it's, it's, your, a, it's fault, your fault. And, you know, you deserve to have a miserable experience or die. Of course, I don't believe that. But I also think that if you live in a country, it's a free country where you have every single adult in this country has had a choice now for months to go get a free, successful vaccine. And if they're making a decision for themselves that decision and potential consequences belong to them and should not be thrust upon the rest of us because early going, all of the lockdowns and so much of the stuff that affected younger, healthier people, we were told you're doing this to protect right. the most vulnerable. And now the most vulnerable are either all vaccinated or have chosen not to be. So you you can't just keep moving the goalposts. And I guess I'm just – the bottom line of this little mini rant is – I'm bracing for another goalpost move that I think would not break me, but I think another goalpost move would be extremely demoralizing, not just to me, but to a lot of people. And I'm, I am worried about that. I think that's fair. I mean, my sister lives in LA. She now has an indoor mask mandate. Her and her husband, her husband, who's extremely immunocompromised, were vaccinated in the, you know, the pre-age group group yeah. because of early have, the early the pre-existing conditions group and they're annoyed about it they don't want the indoor mask mandate and they want to make the decision themselves to not eat indoors if that's what they don't want to do because right. alex her husband right. doesn't want to risk even having a low-grade delta variant case because that's serious to and him. that's that's a risk a set a risk assessment decision being made by them, which is good. That's how this should work. Well, that's how we do want it to work. And I thought it was interesting that de Blasio, who's very quick usually to, you know, lock it down. I'm going to go with like the most progressive answer to this said no to an indoor mask mandate for us here. Now we've had a lower spike in New York city than they did in LA County. But I think that he's taken the temperature of his constituency or soon to be Eric Adams's constituency, but what's left of it, and said, there's no appetite for this, that people are not, I mean, I find, and it's not like I'm saying that it's so restrictive, I can't live like this, but I, like, I took the subway in today, and you wear a mask on the subway. I abide by the rules, of course. I. That's, you know, re- that's required? It's required on public transportation, same okay. planes, trains. And I get, like, annoyed, and I can't believe that I lived for hours and hours and hours in sweaty weather with a mask. And now 20 minutes feels oppressive to me. (laughs) And I'm someone that was very pro-masking and continues to be for the communities that need it to keep them safe. And Although 
that would be unvaccinated people for the most part. And there's also questions about how effective mask mandates even are. But just hypothetically, in theory, just hypothetically, they are the least likely people to be wearing the masks anyway. So it's like, right. it, it, as you can tell, I'm a little I'm a little annoyed just because I'm looking at a lot of the coverage and I feel like we swing, as you said, to these extremes. And I'm like, I don't think we have to be on either extreme here. We can just sort of take the knowledge that we have and kind of stay the course and hopefully convince more people to get vaccinated without going nuts. But that's the crux of it. And I I wrote about it today, actually. What do we do with the vaccine hesitant? Now, the 20 percent that think that it's the vaccine contains a 5G microchip, they're gone. Right. right? Like those people are never getting vaccinated. And frankly, they haven't had a flu shot probably in decades. Like they might not get their kids vaccinated. I, you know, but there are people out there and the Kaiser Family Foundation released a huge six month tracker poll, which is the basis for my article. Um, And what they found is people are very persuadable by friends, families and healthcare providers. And they did all of their own personal ones, their own personal ones, not a doctor on TV. Right. But someone and saying not politicians to them, or celebrities on TV, people in their lives. Exactly. People that they trust. And there were qualitative interviews with people across a range of political affiliations, Republican, Democrat and independent, who said things like, I saw that no one in my life had side effects. So I got the vaccine. Right. Or so they waited because they were like, oh, because this was one of the lines we would also hear. And in fairness, I think it's not a completely unreasonable point. They're like, this is an experimental vaccine. It's not. It's emergency basis. Right, emergency approved. basis. It's. I think they should approve it. Like they should fast track the, will, the full but... approval. They're saying 2022. I'm like, let's. I mean, come on, get yeah. on it. But when you look around and so many people in your life have gotten the vaccine and, and it's now fine. been months, it's not sort of like I'm gonna. Some people are saying I'm gonna wait and see. How does you know? How does this work out for my friends and family? And if things are okay then maybe I'll think about getting it. And that's what actually is happening for some of these people. A hundred percent, that's what's happening. And it has had a small effect, but one of the smallest effects is the easing of restrictions. So I thought that that was going to be a huge motivating factor. And you saw in France last week, Macron put into uh, place a policy starting this week that you can't go to restaurants, trains, et cetera, movies, unless you're vaccinated. And they had 2.2 million signups in 48 hours. They also had protests covering the city yes. because people don't want that. And we're not going to do that here. No. Biden has been very clear about yes. that. We're America. But we like, are America. We, we would like, like people they have would better not. dessert. But we have better liberty, liberta, liberté. liberté. <laughs> um, but it's interesting to me, like it takes me back to what the conversation around Hillary's deplorables comment, right? That 50 percent of Trump supporters could fit into this basket of deplorables. Right, irredeemable. And irredeemable, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, now, putting aside debating the merits of her comment, and we all know here on the program that I'm a very big fan of Hillary Clinton, we're in one of these moments Ugh. again where we have to treat people and their questions about the vaccine with respect. And there was a big piece in the National Review on yes. Friday about this that caused a lot of uproar. No, a bunch and of And I thought it really was completely angry. sane. Yes. Said just treat someone who you want to be safe also to help keep you safe and keep your kids no, safe. No, they got, they got Like a human. They, they were like, oh, how dare you write this piece? You're pandering to these idiots. And it's like, no, you're... Ugh, it's it's this arrogance. It's this incredible arrogance. Right, that, that like some I know off. better than you, and uh, yeah, I do think that I know better than you. But it behooves me on a 
public safety level to have an adult conversation with you where you acknowledge the concerns. And once I dug deep with my own friends who are liberal and got the vaccine, they had questions, too, especially about the emergency basis authorization. Right. right. So they and did it. I think having real conversations is an antidote to this in some ways on a person-to-person basis, (laughs) which is why we try to do that here with people like Jessica Tarloff, Fox News contributor, head of research at Bustle. Great to see you, Jesse. Chief romance correspondent. I'm still married, guy. You are chief romance correspondent. (laughs) I just felt like that might be uh, ancillary to today's conversation, but you are always our chief romance (laughs) correspondent here on The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's the Guy Benson Show on this Monday. Thanks for listening. I saw Nicole Hannah-Jones, 1619 Project Lady. I guess she said that Cuba is among the most equal countries in the Western Hemisphere. Which is, of course, wrong. Because if you're at the elite levels, like in any totalitarian regime, you are very unequal from the people that you are crushing, whose rights you're violating, who you're subjugating, right? That's a tiered society. But there are an awful lot of very equal people in Cuba, equal in their poverty, equal in their repression, equal in their desperation. I just don't think that that's what Nicole Hannah-Jones meant. But if you prize and worship and fetishize equity, maybe you don't dislike Cuba so much. This from someone who spends a lot of time being extremely critical of the United States of America. I'm not one of these love it or leave it people, but man, I would love to see how long she would enjoy her life in Cuba versus here. I don't think she'd last very long. She'd be like, oh, let me back, please. That's just a guess. My personal guest, Guy Benson Show continues. New hour coming up. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. A new hour is underway here on the Guy Benson Show, broadcasting live from the Big Apple today. And for Kennedy tonight on Fox Business Network, yours truly in the great lady's seat for one more night. Hope you'll tune in at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Again, that's Fox Business. Here on the radio show, it's GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast is free every day if you miss a moment. Fox News alert as we begin this middle hour. The Dow closes down 725 points. So just a rough day on Wall Street with concerns about a COVID rebound spooking the markets. And we spent the better part of our first hour addressing those concerns and talking about that, you know, potential rebound and what that actually means, what that looks like. If you missed it, again, you can check out the free podcast, GuyBensonShow.com. Dow closing down 725, which is actually better than session lows. I mean, it was close to a thousand points off during the trading day. So the Dow closed at 33,900 
and 61. I want to shift for a moment here to immigration because we reported briefly last week on Friday's show that the month of June brought yet another incredibly high number of illegal immigrants detained at the southern border, 189,000 almost, just a few shy of 189,000 illegal immigrants detained by CBP or did I get that right? Yes, CBP at the southern border just in the month of June. That was up from May. In the fiscal year, we are now north of 1 million arrests, a million at the southern border. So I know that the administration wants to say this is not a crisis. They have insulted our intelligence repeatedly by just asserting that the border is closed and secure. Obviously, it's not. And I will remind you, as we look at that data, nearly 189,000 people detained at the southern border last month alone with the crisis getting worse, right? They, oh, it's seasonal. When it gets really hot, they won't come. Well, it got worse in June. That does not count tens of thousands of gotaways, people that our officials detected but didn't have the resources and the manpower to detain. There were tens of thousands of people who got away and just entered the country. That's on top of the 189,000 who were detained. What the White House says is, well, we're going to deal with the root causes. That's why they sent Kamala Harris, the vice president, to, what was it, Guatemala, right? Because they were going to help the root causes, Guatemala being one of the northern triangle countries, one of the big four countries where a lot of the illegal immigration comes from in the United States. So maybe we can give them money and work bilaterally with these governments to try to improve the situation on the ground, which might reduce the incentives for people to migrate illegally. And we've made the point over and over again, the true root cause is not some foreign policy gambit that needs to be undertaken to fix the situation on the ground. You can't fix the rest of the world. The root cause is telling people through actions and word and deed that America's border is at least partially open. When you talk about allowing kids in, they send kids in. If you talk about allowing family units in, they're going to send family units in. People want to come here. They don't have a right to be here, but understandably they want to come. Then, of course, you've got the cartels and other very dangerous organizations who take advantage of all of this, flood the zone with some of these families or caravans and these large groups of migrants who are then being taken into custody while the people that they want to escape, the you know, they want them to get away. Cartel members, smugglers, traffickers. There are fewer Border Patrol agents and resources available to stop the actually dangerous people because they are dealing with the non-dangerous people, but it is still a burden on our system. So they talk about root causes. Well, guess what? In the month of June, because they focus on these these countries where they're, I guess, starting with Guatemala, this is just, it's so futile. And the futility is underscored by this. In June, there were 47,224 illegal immigrants. Out of that 189,000, 47,000 plus of them were from countries excluding the big four. So like 
a full sold-out Yankee Stadium of people from countries other than Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras. That is an enormous number. And those are just, again, just those who were detained. That number, that subset of farther flung countries, 47,000 in June, when Trump left off it, uh, tr- when Trump left office, it was about 40,000 fewer. It was over 7,000. That was the number in Trump's final full month. When, by the way, I will point out, the uptick was already beginning because people saw Biden win the election. That's when the numbers really started to come up. So that's not even a full reflection on Trump, frankly. That was people reacting to incentives and rhetorics and uh, rhetoric rather and anticipating what was to come. But in Trump's final month in office, over 7,000 people came to this country illegal and were detained from countries other than those big four. That has gone up by 40,000 on a monthly basis if you look at June. I mean, you're not going to go and fix all of those countries with the root causes. The root cause is the Biden administration, the Democratic Party, and telling people you can come here and you can claim refugee status, even if it's not real, and we'll let you into the country and you can stay here at least, and we're going to take care of your kids, and there's going to be health care, and all of it. That is the root cause. Now, Joe Biden, the president is apparently looking at all this, and according to the Washington Post, he is concerned. Washington Post has a story yesterday. Quote, he knows the damage this can do, talking about the crisis that his White House won't even acknowledge. He knows the damage this can do and what a gift this is to Republicans. So I guess POTUS is worried about how the Republican Party is pouncing on the problem that exists. And what kind of annoys me about this story is like, okay, if if Joe can sort of read the polls and recognize that one of his big weaknesses is on the issue of immigration and he's worried that Republicans are going to successfully exploit this. Also, it would be insane for Republicans not to point out this failure because most Americans aren't with the Biden approach on this and recognize how insane, what madness this is. He sees it, but he's like talking to people who are then whispering to reporters, oh, the president's concerned. He's not a bystander. He's not just some you know political analyst who's concerned that this might benefit Team Red. He's the president. He has more power, literally, more power than anyone else on earth in a single person to course correct, to change what's happening, to take the problem and at least start to mitigate it through serious action by taking border enforcement seriously, by unreversing Trump policies that were working, that they just got rid of willy-nilly because it was Trump's name on them. And they said, oh, we're going to be not the same as Trump, but it's going to be a new era, and we're going to be so compassionate. If they were less concerned about the politics and the optics and appeasing an activist base and actually fixing the problem and guaranteeing our sovereignty and defending the border— A lot of these problems, they wouldn't be gone completely, but they could credibly claim that they're making progress and they might blunt some of the criticisms, but that's not what that is not what is happening. So he wrings his hands. Oh, he's so concerned this could help the Republicans. Well, dude, you can do something about it, but he won't. And part of the reason that he won't and that he hasn't so far, the New York Times has a story 
about how Biden and the White House are under increasing pressure from Democratic activist groups to admit even more illegal border crossers into the United States. They want to lift additional restrictions. So while conservatives and Republicans, I think, are speaking for a lot of the country, saying, hey, this is a crisis that is out of control and it's of your own making, the people that they feel like they answer to, their base, they want more illegal immigration. And they are agitating frequently for that to happen. And based on the rhetoric from this administration, it seems like the only group of people that they're not interested in, that they really want to deter in a strong, full-throated way, are Cubans fleeing an actual totalitarian regime who are truly refugees. And again, a cynic within me wonders if politics might be at play there because it seems like politics is driving a lot of this. It's The Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. We are back on The Guy Benson Show. Coming up next, Marsha Blackburn, U.S. Senator of Tennessee. She's going to be here. And I want to talk a little bit about this censorship issue involving the White House and social media, Facebook specifically. A lot of conservatives, myself included, have expressed real concerns about this. And of course, we see people on the left making points and comments basically along these lines. Oh, look at these right-wingers. They want to talk about free speech, but what they're defending is misinformation about a pandemic that's killed millions of people. It's There's all this conspiracy nonsense floating around out there, tons of misinformation, and they're defending it and they're calling it a free speech issue. And this will literally get people killed and it's so irresponsible, right? That's the counterpoint to the concerns being expressed. So let me just say this. I hope, unless you're brand new to the show, in which case, welcome, but I hope that listening to this show for a period of days or weeks or months or years You know that I am not a conspiracy radio guy. You know that I do genuinely value truth and accurate information, and we do our best to use this show, this platform, and my various other platforms in a responsible way. I have had doctors on constantly about COVID. I've taken it seriously. I'm a big advocate for vaccines. All that being said, that can all be true, And I can still, not just on principle, but also in practice, be very worried about a a new status quo under which you have the federal government and the executive branch at the White House saying we are going to be flagging things for private companies, deputizing private companies to then participate in or perform acts of censorship against what we deem to be misinformation based on our public health experts or what have you. And what people will say to justify it, say, well, I support the First Amendment. I support free speech. But this isn't really a First Amendment issue because it's not the government. Technically, it's private companies. If it's the government twisting the arm of private companies, it is effectively the same thing. And it's a it's a sort of a collusion. Relationship where one is doing the bidding of the other. So I think that there actually are bona fide First Amendment issues here. I think the principle of that is important. And when you think about what this 
precedent is and what that would represent, I think it is worrisome. I think it is constitutionally suspect at the very least. But let's just for a second set aside the precedent and the principle on the First Amendment and free speech and the government coming in and coercing in this case, censorship of views that they say represent misinformation. Let's set it to the side. I don't think you can do that. I think it's central to my objection. And by the way, the way to counter misinformation is with good information, more speech. And if these companies want to police their platforms or whatever on their own time, on their own volition, that's one thing, right? These companies have a right to engage in you know rules and terms of conduct, terms of service, all that stuff. When it's the government basically driving the boat, then it becomes even more worrisome because there are issues about to what extent are some of these companies representative of the modern public square, right? This goes to a much broader conversation about free expression, big tech, and in this case, the government as well. And those conversations are nowhere near over. They're only going to ramp up, I think, in some ways. But let's talk about practicality as well. Let's talk about politics as well. The word misinformation has been abused. It has been redefined. It has been overapplied to mean basically anything that people don't like. Right? The Hunter Biden laptop story. That was supposedly Russian misinformation or Russian disinformation. It wasn't, but that's what the Biden people said. And the media treated it as such broadly. Big tech censored and suppressed that story just on the say-so of a Democratic campaign. Then you think about masks and how initial misinformation, quote-unquote, about masks turned out to be the official policy of the government just a little while later. The most obvious example is the lab leak theory. We were told that was debunked, dangerous, conspiratorial misinformation, and now it looks more plausible than ever, and it's always been viable, but it was rejected and suppressed and censored as misinformation, even though it wasn't. So we know that that word can be attached to things to which it does not apply in reality. And information can be tamped down or disallowed based on experts say so when the experts end up with egg on their face just a little bit down the line. That is concerning, the definition of misinformation. The other definition that I'm concerned about is public health emergency because the counterpoint here is, well, Guy, I might agree with you in general. We don't want the government getting involved in this. I probably don't want big tech companies doing this sort of thing either. But look at how many people are dead. This is a public health emergency. We have to crack down on misinformation because it can really cost people their lives. And by the way, I don't disagree that misinformation on vaccines and other things can be lethal for some people. And I think that's awful and inexcusable. And we fight against it here by trying to bring you the truth and good information in a timely way. But that term, sort of the justification, the excuse, public health emergency, a lot of activists and politicians on the left use that exact same term to describe climate change, to describe gun violence, right? They call these things public health emergencies, and they say they affect these people and these communities and communities of color. And if you are allowing the government and big tech to work together to crush and squash what they say is misinformation, 
under the auspices of combating a public health crisis, they also call other things public health crises. It is not hard at all. In fact, it's extremely easy to see the mission creep. Once this happens on this front, they are going to go for the next step and the next step. That's why the definitions of misinformation and public health emergency, the capacious definitions that have been broadened, I think, in an irresponsible way by a lot of people, that informs the alarm that I'm feeling about this. And none of that is a justification for, none of that is an endorsement of misinformation and conspiracy theories, which absolutely exist and need to be fought, but not fought this way. I think this does more damage than good in a lot of ways. It sets a horrific precedent, and the potential for abuse isn't even potential. It's not even hypothetical. We've already seen it. That's what worries me. And I don't think it's a crackpot worry at all. I think it's a pretty clear-eyed one. And I want to make that point. And we will address it in more detail coming up with Senator Marsha Blackburn. She's my guest next on The Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Guy Benson Show. Back here on The Guy Benson Show on this Monday from New York City. Glad to have you along. GuyBensonShow.com, the website for the free podcast every single day. With me now is U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican of Tennessee. Her book is The Mind of a Conservative Woman. She also has a podcast called Freedom Rings. And Senator, welcome back to the show. Delighted to join you. Thank you so much. I want to pick up on this conversation we've now been having over the course of the last few shows involving misinformation, big tech, censorship, and the government. Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, was talking about flagging from the White House level, flagging for Facebook misinformation as they see it to try to get it taken down and banned. The president said that Facebook is killing people. He backed away from that today, saying they shouldn't have taken it so personally. He didn't really mean it that way. But Saki also said, if we flag something and we think it's misinformation, you get banned on Facebook. You should be banned other places, too. Here's what she said. This was Friday, cut nine. Providing uh, for for Facebook or other platforms to measure and publicly share the impact of misinformation on their platform uh, and the audience it's reaching. Uh, also with the public, with all of you, um, to create robust enforcement strategies that bridge their properties and provide transparency about rules. You shouldn't be banned from one platform and not others uh, if you are for uh, uh, providing misinformation out there. You shouldn't be banned from one platform and not others. So, Senator... I think it should go without saying that no one responsible, no one with a heart and a brain is in favor of misinformation, whether it's about COVID or anything else. What gets me worried is who decides what counts as misinformation, because we've seen a lot of evolution on that term recently, and also the justification saying, well, it's fine for the government to be influencing this sort of censorship because it's an emergency involving public health. We've seen that term thrown around a lot as well, things that count to the left as public health. Those, I think, are completely reasonable worries to have, even if you strongly oppose misinformation. Are we on the same page here? I have to tell you, Guy, it is astounding to me that Jen Psaki would have come out, would have made those statements. The president makes his. Then they start walking it back. 
Go back to January when the Biden administration said maybe we need to have a truth czar or a reality czar that will point out what we believe to be disinformation or misinformation that is going to the public. And everybody kind of laughed at that, and they said, oh, that's just somebody talking off the top of their head. But this is what they do. They throw out a trial balloon, they see what the response is, and then that's exactly where they go. And that's what they're doing here. They want to have the thought police, the language police. They want to have government-approved messaging And then if you do not comply with their current line of thinking, then they can uh, enact government-sponsored censorship on you and on your post. This is so over the top. And you're exactly right. People do not want to spread misinformation. But go back and look at what happened with the lab leak theory. Those of us, myself included, of course, the president, uh, Secretary Pompeo, several said, hey, we need to look at this lab. This seems to be questionable. And you had big tech, big media, big Democrats. It was conspiracy theory. How dare you say such a thing? Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Fauci kept his mouth shut. He never said, well, you know that could possibly be worthy of no, and he actually went he went the other direction fauci actually yeah. publicly made some statements throwing water on the lab leak and saying it's almost certainly from a wet market which wet market which yeah. is looking less and less likely but that was part of what he said well you're right about that so then what are they going to say is right and what is wrong and as far as the president with this thing about they're killing people, then what does he say about the Uyghurs in China? What does he say about the Hong Kong freedom fighters? What does he say about the people of Iran who were pushing back against their government or the Cubans who are trying to push back against their government? You know, he cannot continue to say this and throw things out there, and she cannot continue from the podium to ridicule people who are exercising their free speech. But I'm a free speech warrior, so I'm going to defend her right and anybody's right to stand up there and speak their mind, but you cannot censor people. Yeah, I mean, look, I agree that most people do not want to engage in misinformation. Other people do. There are bad actors out there who want to sow doubts and misinform people, and that's unfortunate. I don't think that the solution is to come in and have the government censoring folks. Now, I know there's an argument, Senator, and you've been talking about this a bit, where people who want to defend this, and I've seen actually a sort of a shocking number of people defending this idea of government-sponsored censorship. That's your term, which I think applies pretty well here. What they say is, well, it's not really the federal government doing the censoring. There's no law against this. It's not like the executive branch is enforcing this. They are just suggesting something uh, based on the best scientific information that they have. And then these private companies are acting as they see fit. It is not the government doing this. It's private companies, and they are just policing their own content. So it's not really a First Amendment violation. I think that when it comes to content moderation, that is often true. I think sometimes these concepts get blended and conflated. But in this case, it seems like a pretty straight line. 
from the White House, their very obvious and, in fact, over-the-top rhetoric and what they are demanding of Facebook, kind of deputizing private companies to do their censorship for them, that does get into First Amendment territory, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. It gets into First Amendment territory. I sent a letter over to the president. I want to know how many people they have working on this. And I would like to see the list of the people that they are censoring. How many people are reading posts and emails and communication from people and deciding who they want to censor? If they are going to censor on information relative to COVID-19, what else are they going to begin right. to censor on? That is it going to be me. HR1, S1? Uh, what What is going to be their next step? Well, and I think that's exactly the point, because the way that they describe so many issues is they use the prism of crisis, right? So democracy's in crisis, which is why we need HR1. And if democracy's in crisis, this is actually a public health issue, especially for people of color. So if you're opposed to HR1, which they say will fix and save democracy, and the supposed disintegration of democracy is disproportionately impacting people of color. That's a public health emergency. And therefore, we must not allow misinformation to be put out there. They talk about gun violence as a public health crisis. They talk about climate change as a public health crisis. This is how they use and abuse these words to mean different things. So the whole concept of mission creep they you know, they might have a lot of sympathetic ears for people saying we need to crack down on misinformation about a pandemic. People might say, OK, on some level that makes sense. But the idea that they would not then expand what these words mean in order to shut down more political speech that they don't like, it's not even a hypothetical. It's not a conspiracy theory. They've done it. We've seen it. It's right in front of our faces. Correct. That's part of the reason that I'm as concerned and I think uh, why you are concerned as you are. Oh, absolutely. And you know that they would do it. They always send up these trial balloons, and then that is where they go further and further to the left. Look, you just have to look at the fact that they will not even call out the Cuban regime right now and really go stand with the people of Cuba and draw a line in the sand and... So you know where they're going. They are going to be soft when it comes to dealing with these totalitarian regimes. Look at what they're doing in Iran. Look at how they will not call out China. Uh, We see where they are moving with this, and they are trying to go at warp speed toward a socialistic, communistic form of government. And it is going to be up to us to conservatives to play this block and tackle and try to get our message out, even around uh, hostile media, which the mainstream media is when it comes to reporting on instances like this. How dare they think, well, it's okay for the administration to do government-approved messaging on COVID-19. What if the federal government tries to begin to approve what they're going to put on the nightly news or on their opinion journalism shows. Uh, are they going to be yeah, or what shows up them? what shows up in Google searches and that kind of thing? And look, I was glad right. to see President Biden call out communism the way that he did. 
I think that there are Democrats who don't want to be socialist, don't want to be communist, but there is this really intense drive toward control. And what we're seeing with this particular issue that we're talking about, obviously it does not sit well with me. Last question, Senator, separate issue, but it also deals with a regime, a totalitarian regime. We see that the Olympics are about to get going on Friday in Tokyo. No fans, no spectators. It's going to be a strange Olympics because it's still, you know, COVID era. Next year, we are supposed to have Olympic Games in China, uh, which I think is just absolutely shocking considering everything that China has been up to, especially over the last two years. It appears like those games are moving forward. You and I have discussed this previously. You put out a statement along with some other senators just recently trying to at least send a message to China involving something called the digital yuan. Can you explain what your position is on this issue and why it matters? The reason this matters, what China is planning to do is launch the digital yuan, their currency, and have people log into the digital yuan app which thereby would facilitate all of their transactions while they are in China. Now, they are giving everybody like $20 or $50 free if they sign onto the app. That sounds tempting. It even sounds tempting to people who do business or who like to be on the Alibaba site. But here's the problem with that. Once you have let China into your network, you have no privacy. Oh, yeah. They are going to be in your wallet from then on. So to them, $20 or $50, whatever they're giving. Oh, it's an entry so fee. Then they're following. Yeah. They feel like then they have you for the rest of your life. So my hope is that people are going to be very careful and our athletes are going to be very careful and will realize that the Chinese embed spyware and malware in these apps and in the hardware like Huawei and ZTE. And then they track you and they collect data and they build a profile of you. My term for it is you allow them to own the virtual you. You then do not own yourself in your transactions online. So is your position that the U.S. delegation should be prohibited from engaging in this app, using this app, using digital yuan? Yes, they should be prohibited from using this. And I think all Americans should not use it. Indeed, I do not think our athletes should go to Beijing. I I think we should host the Freedom Games here in the USA, but not have them go to Beijing because of the way the Chinese Communist Party has become so incredibly aggressive because of what they did through COVID-19, the way they have lied about this. So it and is the Uyghurs be, and Hong Kong. I mean, the, the laundry yes, list is list really bad, really bad. So it's it, it's really something that I've tried to avoid because you never want to do something to athletes who've trained their whole lives for this big moment. But given what China has actually done, And given the term never again, when you look at Western China and Xinjiang, either that means something or it doesn't. And it looks like a lot of the global community right now is saying, oh, maybe it really doesn't have the potency that we pretend it does, which I think is very disappointing. But I guess there's still a little bit of time, a little bit of runway left to maybe make some changes and apply some pressure. But for now, it looks like full steam ahead for those Beijing games. Again, it should be shocking, but... I can't say that I'm terribly shocked. Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican, Tennessee, here on The Guy Benson Show. Senator, appreciate your time today. 
You got it. Bye-bye now. And the Guy Benson Show returns next. Guy Benson will be right back. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. It's the Guy Benson Show from New York City. Glad you're here with me. So we're talking about free speech concerns. First Amendment issues with Senator Blackburn. In the last segment, here is a very clear cut, in my opinion, that I'm not an attorney, I'm not a constitutional lawyer, but I think I know enough to flag this one. So there is going to be a rally, an America First rally in Southern California, Anaheim, California, and it has been canceled. So this rally is going to feature Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and let me just say, in case you didn't already know, it should be relatively obvious if you listen to the show, these are not people that I am... A fan of Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene. They do not speak for me as a conservative. They are not the types of people that I want to associate myself with as a conservative for all sorts of different reasons. And I frankly don't want to get into all the reasons. I think they should speak for themselves. They I've been very clear about what they're about and the type of conservatism or republicanism that they want to espouse and represent. I take a very different view. You would not catch me dead at this America First rally. I want nothing to do with them. However, they have a right to hold rallies. They have a right to speak their minds. They have a right to say crazy things, good things. I don't disagree with everything that they say, obviously. Right? There's some overlap there. But that doesn't matter. What matters is, in this country, you have the right to free speech and free assembly without the government interfering. But what happened in Anaheim was their upcoming rally has been canceled. And the city put out a statement, quote, a planned America first rally at a private venue in our city is canceled. The city of Anaheim shared public safety concerns with the operator, and those concerns are shared by the operator. As a city, we respect free speech, but also have a duty to call out speech that does not reflect our city and its values. So that's not what's happened here. They don't respect free speech. They're not just calling out speech. What this government entity did was they went and went breathing down the neck of a private venue and said, see these bad people that we don't like? They're coming to do an event at your place. We think that there is a public safety concern. This is what they can always argue, right? Ooh, there might be a protest or a riot. Things could get ugly, right? The heckler's veto. And when it's the government saying, "Uh oh, we're not sure about how this thing could spin out of control. We're concerned about public safety. The message was clearly telegraphed and received by the vendor, the private entity, the venue. And they said, "Okay, message received. We're canceling the event. And it is astounding for the city of Anaheim to put out this statement pretending like they are actually champions of free speech. And all they did was call it out. No. They guaranteed that this event was shut down in violation of the First Amendment using public safety as a pretext. This cannot stand. This is a violation of the Constitution. This rally has a right to happen, even if it were even more odious. Odious speech is protected in the United States of America. And if the government gets involved this way, then the First Amendment really means nothing at all. It is flagrant. It's a violation. It is outrageous. And I defend passionately the right of Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene or any of these other people that I don't like. Ilhan Omar, AOC, 
They all have a right to speak. This is a chilling incident, and I think it will be thrown out instantly in court, as it should be. Disgraceful. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show, coming up. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Time for the happy hour on this Monday here on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. Broadcasting from New York, filling in for Kennedy tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, Fox Business Network. Hope you will tune in for that. Had a great time on Thursday. Back at it tonight. The Guy Benson Show, sponsored in the happy hour by the Finnish Long Drink. Delicious, crisp, and refreshing. It's especially good in the heat of summertime in which we find ourselves right now. Isn't that convenient? TheLongDrink.com is their website. TheLongDrink.com. You can find out where it's sold near you. If they haven't expanded to your area yet, and they're expanding rapidly, you can also order online at TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly, 21 plus only. Our website is GuyBensonShow.com. Straightforward, available to people of all ages. Family friendly. We encourage you checking it out, including our free podcast every day. GuyBensonShow.com or FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you get your free podcast. As we begin the happy hour, I am pleased to welcome back to the show my friend and New York Times number one bestselling author, Brad Thor. His new book, which is out tomorrow, which I'm holding here in my hands, is Black Ice, a thriller. It is the 20th novel in the Scott Harvath series, Scott Harvath being the protagonist. And Brad, it is great to have you here. Congratulations on another book and 20 Harvath novels. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. And thanks for having me back on, Guy. Oh, it's my pleasure. So we talk every year, right around now. It's something that I always look forward to because you have a novel out every summer. You are always kind enough to send an advanced copy to the house, and I try to time it where I bring it to the beach And I read it on the beach, and that's exactly what I did. I read it up in Cape Cod, cover to cover. I read it very quickly because your books are always page turners. Before we get into some of the plot and the themes of Black Ice, I've mentioned this on the air already, but I just want to personally thank you for really, I mean, Harvath is, you could argue that he's the main character in this book, but to me, the main character in this book, the pivotal character, is one Adam Benson. Uh, who appears perhaps in somewhat limited form towards the end of the book, but you were extremely nice and generous to create this little composite character named after me and my husband, Adam, and we got such a kick out of it, especially the detail about our favorite cocktail that he ordered. That's awesome. So thank you, Brad, and I will be recommending Black Eyes to everyone forever because of that. (laughs) Well, I'm thrilled to do it, but if the truth be told, I do it. Yeah, I did it because I love your mother-in-law. Uh, met her at the wedding. I think she's absolutely fantastic, and I figured she'd get a pretty big kick oh, out of that. But she lost uh, it. 
but you guys are, are dear friends of mine as well, so it was kind of fun. And that's, you know, 20 books in, and you and I have talked about this before. You know, I tell people my novels are like the James Bond movies. If the new one is out in the theater and you've never seen any of the prior Bond movies, you can go right in and see the latest Bond film and not feel like you missed out on anything. And that's how I write these books. But it's part of the fun of creating this thriller universe is being able to incorporate friends and stuff like that. And I even remember when I was working on the character and I said, okay, he's going to be at you know the Hay Adams Hotel. What drink would, would this character be drinking? And you fired that drink back, so oh, yeah. I included it in the book. The it's Gold Rush. Neat. Delicious Gold Rush. By the way, you mentioned Bond. I happened mm-hmm. to go to a movie over the weekend because I just wanted to go to a theater and it was gross and hot in New York City. And there was a trailer for the new Bond flick, which is in October, called No Time to Die. I'm so excited for it. In fact, I'll be talking about my trip to the movie theater in the very next segment here. But, Brad, let's talk about your book, Black Ice. One thing that I always look forward to in your thrillers, number one, where is it going to be set primarily? Because it's just all over the world. You have these vivid descriptions of different places, different cities, sometimes very far-flung parts of the world. And this one is heavily concentrated up not just in Scandinavia, but in the Arctic. And the other thing that I look forward to in these novels is how much you inject, and I believe the term that you like to use is faction, where you take cutting-edge, real-life, global security, terrorism concerns, national security concerns, and you fold them into your plot lines and really educate people about existing or emerging threats. And in this case, it was, unsurprisingly, the malign influence of not just Russia, but also China So without giving too much away, give people the elevator pitch about black ice and what they can expect when they go out and buy black ice starting tomorrow. So there's the facts. Thank you. Faction is what I do, where you don't know where the facts end and the fiction begins. But let's reverse that. So let's start with the fiction. My protagonist, Scott Harvath, America's top spy, has fallen in love with this gorgeous, tall, blonde Norwegian spy named Solvi Kolstad with this cool uh, phrase from Sartre that's tattooed down her spine. And she's a deputy director at the Norwegian Intelligence Service. Harvath had a fabulous summer in Oslo. And he's out of vacation days, out of sick days. And, uh, his office is calling from D.C. saying, listen, uh, you either get back by Monday or tender your resignation. And he's a true believer that there cannot be an American dream without those willing to fight to protect it. And he misses the action, even though he loves this woman. And so he's got five days left to go in Norway, and then he's going to hop on a plane back to D.C. And as he's walking out of his favorite cafe, he sees a ghost climb out of a taxi. Someone he killed years ago halfway around the world. How can this be? How can this person still be above ground, breathing? I stayed until they went room temperature. So the race is on to figure out not only how is this person still alive, but what the hell are they doing in Norway? That's the fiction. This is actually set against a real-life scenario uh, that I picked up from watching uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. So Pompeo did two things I thought were really interesting. Number one, he like snorted, he guffawed when the Chinese declared themselves a quote-unquote near-Arctic state. The closest Chinese settlement to the Arctic Circle is over 800 miles away, and it was like a Seinfeld, a made-up term. It meant nothing. But Pompeo did something else. He admitted that the United States is behind a very dynamic and very critical power curve in the Arctic. We only have one icebreaker. The Chinese have two. They're building more. Russia's got 40 with three being built right now, 12 more over the next decade. We are losing the power struggle in the Arctic, and there's a 
lot of national security issues that are at, at, uh, are in play there and that kind of a thing. So I thought, all right, I'm going to talk to people I know in the administration, the CIA, so on and so forth. And the more I dug into this, the more I saw, wow, this is really the next Cold War, no pun intended, yeah. is above the Arctic, and the Chinese are driving this along with the Russians. And I said, fantastic, great set piece to play out a fun spy thriller. How much, and I want to come back to the Arctic politics, because you acknowledge in the book at the end, not in the novel part of it, in your acknowledgments, the former national security advisor, Robert O'Brien, who's also been sounding clarion call and alarm on this stuff. There is a device in the book where you find out, and this is not a huge spoiler, that the Russians and the Chinese are actually colluding and working with each other on something pretty sinister and alarming that would get around U.S. technology in certain ways. Is that, I'm sort of hoping, fiction, or is there some basis in fact there too? It's a little mixture of both. Everything I do is a little bit fact, a little bit fiction. Uh, but that's it's 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 probably more fiction than fact. There's been rumors that they've been working on something like this. It is a key goal of the Russians to get this piece of technology. If they could get this, they would be the happiest. Uh, power on the planet. And the fact is, is that the Russians suck at technology. They're really bad. They can't machine tools that are consistent and uh, they can't keep satellites in space. So the Chinese are offering some really interesting things to the Russians in the real world to get things they want in return, like free passage through the northwest or the northern sea route over the top of Russia that would not only help speed up cargo ships from Shanghai to Europe, but would also allow the PLA Navy to come down and threaten the United States on the East Coast and not be stopped before that point. It's a very dangerous strategic move by the Chinese. So that's the the real world stuff that plays into the fiction in the book. So we actually are an Arctic power, not a near Arctic power, right? Because of Alaska. Correct. And we're also the global superpower, at least for now, the global hegemon. And I hope it stays that way. But obviously we're being challenged in reality. Obviously there's method to your madness, you focus on certain things, not just for the entertainment value. And the books are always highly entertaining and highly readable and very exciting and, you know, keeps you on the edge of your seat. But you also want to impart information to your readers. I think that's part of the reason why you just, you know, crush the bestseller list every time a book comes out. People want to see what you've cooked up and you decided, okay, yes, this is a point of emphasis. I want to educate myself and then the readers in this entertaining way about the battle for the Arctic and strategically why it matters. It kind of seems like this godforsaken, extremely cold, you know, icy area up there. Who wants to spend any time up there? Humans don't really survive up there. Why should we be concerned? Well, it's a good question. So as you said, my, my first job is to entertain people, give you a white-knuckle, edge-of-your-seat thrill ride. If I've done that, I've done my job as an entertainer. If you walk away with a little bit more knowledge of a certain geopolitical issue or how an agency works or why this national security policy is important, if you get that just through the fun of reading one of my thrillers – then I've done my job as an American. The fact is, regardless of what you think about climate change and scientists that change the data and fudge it and all this kind of stuff, the ice in the Arctic is melting. 
temperatures are rising up there twice as fast as anywhere else on the planet. That's just fact. And what's happening is, is with the ice melting and all the slush up there, people are able to access different parts of the Arctic they could never access before. And there are huge mineral deposits, natural gas, and oil deposits up there, or oil reserves. Uh, the Russians have reopened over 50 shuttered Cold War Soviet bases, and the Chinese are trying to get a foothold up there, too, so Wait, that so they let me become just, a power plant. I just want you to repeat that, because you know, Russia is not anything close to what it was at the height of the Cold War in the Soviet Union, but... Putin's an awful guy. They would love to at least play at that table again. They want sort of like revanchist Russia. They want to come back and exert their influence, which I think is a dangerous thing for a number of different reasons. There are military bases, you just said, that were closed after the Soviets lost the Cold War. It's like, okay, it's just Russia now. We're scaling way back. You're saying they're ramping back up. They are reopening naval bases in the Arctic that have been dozens of them that have been closed for years. That's happening in real life now. So all sorts of bases, not just naval bases, airfields and things like this, over 50. And it, it's a big deal. And in fact, the Russians also are trying to lay a claim to all of the resources that are up there. They actually took a submarine and had a little, had a little robotic arm come out of the submarine and place a titanium flagpole with a Russian flag on the seabed at the North Pole. They are trying to claim that their their continental shelf, if you will, land of Russia, extends all the way to the North Pole so they can claim the resources up there. So this is like a gold rush is on, and it is becoming increasingly more militarized up there. There are uh, early warning systems that are at risk, and the possibility for the Russians to launch on the United States, that's always been a big deal. The Russians have always prided themselves on being able to reserve the second strike capacity. If they can get ships and subs out out to sea without being seen, then they can hit back at the United States if we ever fire on them first. So there's a lot of strategic reasons and a lot of um, uh, economic reasons for us to be focused on there. In the t- we, are, we are getting very close to this being a hair-trigger thing where war could break out in the Arctic. And so I said, I see this as tomorrow's headlines, and I want to write about it today. Well, the Russians are also going to have to get through Santa Claus up there. I mean, they've got some obstacles at the North Pole, but the U.S. needs to be chief among them. Brad, before I let you go, you mentioned how people who may be introduced to you for the very first time on this show, they're going to see you on this book tour. Okay, Black Ice, this sounds intriguing. Then they hear me say this is novel number 20 in the Scott Harvath series. You said, never fear, pick up this book and you can pick up Right where we left off, you, you're not missing anything. You can just, in isolation, enjoy this book. You don't have any backstory that will prevent you from enjoying it at all. But your series does build on itself to a certain extent. And now that you're looking back at 20 of these Harvath novels, after people buy and read Black Ice, if they're new to your work, is there one that you would recommend in retrospect? Maybe your next one, the second book that you pick up and read, what would that be in your mind? I'm just curious. Well, in my mind, it would be Spymaster, because Spymaster deals with the recent RAND Corporation study that uh, showed that if Russia went after uh, a particular trio of NATO allies and took them over, we would be unable to wrench them out of Russia's control. And I think Spymaster is also very timely. It's a few books back. All right. But definitely. 
I my answer personally as a fan is Lions of Lucerne, the OG, your one. very first. I think it's so good. Also, the Last Patriot, which I think was your first number one bestseller. Yep. Those would be near the top of my list. But there have been a few recently that have been riveting, including Black Ice, which is out tomorrow by Brad Thor, our friend, New York Times number one bestselling author. Let's hope this one goes number one as well. Brad, appreciate it. Good luck with the book. Congratulations and appreciate the little shout out for Adam Benson, the character. You bet. Thanks, Guy. (laughs) Brad Thor on The Guy Benson Show. Happy Hour resumes next. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. It is the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. We're back. In the last segment, we were chatting with Brad Thor. Black Ice, his new book, is out tomorrow. And he mentioned, and I'm glad that he mentioned James Bond. He's like, if you've never seen a Bond movie, there's a new one out in the theater. You go see it, and you'll enjoy it. You don't need to know the whole anthology of James Bond to enjoy it. Same thing with his thrillers, the books that Brad writes. Then I did mention that I went to a theater here in New York City, Times Square Movie Theater, over the weekend. It was sweltering hot, unbelievably muggy. It poured down rain, and I said, I'm going to the movies. And they had the Bond trailer for October. Cannot wait. But I did decide to see F9, the ninth Fast and Furious movie. And I did this because I made a decision that I did not want to really have to think very hard. I wanted to sit in a cold, air-conditioned movie theater with a gigantic, oversized Fountain Coke Zero and just let stupid fun entertainment wash over me and that's exactly what i did this movie is ridiculous so they first of all there's nine of them Uh, come on i have never seen fast and furious one two three four six seven or eight i saw fast five in the theaters years ago with hugh hewitt long story and then this one and At some point, I guess they went from being like street racers and small-time criminals to like CIA spy people trying to save the world. What I kind of respect about it is they're obviously not trying to make this realistic or coherent or anything. It's just a smash-em-up, insane, like, car porn movie, basically, where they're trying to find the craziest stunts they can pull. They end up in outer space. I mean, it's just ridiculous. You might even call it ludicrous, who's one of the co-stars. And, like, they had flashbacks throughout this movie of some of the characters and the actors that they have playing them in their younger years didn't really look like them at all, and the heights were wrong. Like, they're just like, we don't care. You're going to spend money to watch us blow things up, and you're going to like it. And you know what? They were right incredibly stupid. I can't even say that there was a plot. That's a very generous word to use, but it was enjoyable. It was just what the doctor ordered on a rainy, muggy city Saturday, and it was cool being back in a movie theater. No masks, felt normal. That was nice. The happy hour here on The Guy Benson Show returns next. The Guy Benson Show. Happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. Earlier today, in our first out of these three hours, 
our friend Jessica Tarloff stopped by. We don't always agree, but we're friends. She's a Fox News contributor, head of research at Bustle, a Democratic commentator. And today we discussed quite a few different topics, including COVID and more. Here's a taste of my discussion with Jesse. I'm worried not really about the Delta variant. I'm worried about people getting too worried about the Delta variant. Okay. And people starting to look around being like, are we really actually okay? I'm like, everything that we know about COVID is still true. We just know that the Delta variant travels faster, spreads more easily. It is not more insidious in terms of, you know, severity right. or you know, causing hospitalizations or death. And it's not some supercharged form of the virus. It's more transmissible. And if you're vaccinated, you are overwhelmingly safe from infection. And even if you get one of these breakthroughs, you are even more safe from a severe case or death. The status quo of what we have learned of all this accumulated knowledge it doesn't change because of the Delta variant, but some people, it seems like they're talking about it as if it's a new COVID that's worse and worse. And we're all so nervous about it. I think that that's too much. So we live in a time of extremes and we have for a long while. So people who are concerned and have been concerned about COVID are going to kind of take any opportunity to be hyper concerned about it. Yes. And, I think that the follow the science crowd, of which I am a part of, of the liberal variety, I know you're a science crowd on the the right side of things, not like the right, right side of things, just the politically right side of things. It's both. (laughs) Um, You know, we had to really put our foot down about taking our masks off, starting to eat indoors and all of that once the CDC director said, you are vaccinated, it is safe now. Because there were a lot of liberals who wanted to continue to mask up in every opportunity. I remember when we had lunch, we talked about like how many masks there were still in Whole Foods when you don't have to wear your mask there. Right. And we know that if you're vaccinated, you're not going to, you're going to have an asymptomatic case most likely if you do get it, but that you're walking around in Tribeca where I live or Northern Virginia where you are with a 99 to 100% vaccinated crew, right, of shoppers. At these Probably. stores. Maybe not quite that high, but in Tribeca, high. I could at least speak for my neighborhood. I think it is that high. Okay. Because so many places have also required it that if folks are going back to work, sure. whatever it is. And that it's part of the crusade to be in line with Fauci, right? Fauci says jump, you say how high. Time to get vaccinated. I want to be first in line for an appointment. And I was only like third, which pissed me off, but I got there. So the Delta variant is interesting because there's the personal concern that people have for themselves because they don't want it at all, even if it is going to be a low-grade case. But now we have this epidemic of the unvaccinated, which is what Biden calls it, Walensky, Scott Gottlieb as well. And that's just concerning on a national level because we're going to lose a lot more people that way. The ICUs... The hospital beds, I mean, I think there are no more beds or something like in Arkansas left because there are certain places with bad vaccination rates in the community where it's starting to get more concerning. It's a big spike, 36 percent. It's a spike. There's no question, but it's also nowhere near the peak. I think it's really bad in certain places, but still like I'm just trying not to. I am trying to walk a line of not overstating the risk, but also not understating the risk. My full interview with Jessica Tarloff 
here at Fox News in New York, available online for free through our daily podcast. No charge to you on demand. It's so easy. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your free podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch and the return of producer Cookie C. Diddy, Christine. For the first time in a long time, Christine is here, allegedly, when we come back. Guy Benson will be right back. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show from New York City. I'm here filling in for Kennedy tonight, Fox Business, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So maybe you'll join us there. Always glad to do the radio show here at Fox News World Headquarters. And part of the reason that I like doing it here is the production team is here. So Max is out today. He'll be back tomorrow. But we've got an amazing makeshift crew. And we're surviving without, crucially, producer Christine, who's been on vacation all of last week. She is still on vacation. So I think she was on vacation the previous Friday, then a whole week. Now another day of vacation. It's allegedly ending tomorrow. We'll see. Quiet Wyatt has been basically running the show in her absence. And she was supposed to join us based on her own suggestion at least once, if not multiple times during home stretches last week. This was her idea. And then when poor Quiet Wyatt, who's pulling double duty, trying to book producer Christine, her people were just saying no constantly. She's just too busy. She's just a VIP, can't be bothered. So sorry, cookies out on the lake. She can't. Oh, she has no service. Sorry. Can you hear me now? No. Oh, sorry. You're breaking up on me. Just a nightmare to book, an absolute nightmare to book. So she made a promise that after a full week of snubs, she would return while technically still on vacation to do the home stretch today because, as you may have gathered from the music coming in to the segment, if you're listening to the live broadcast, it is indeed not just her birthday, but a very big, important birthday. So before we give her an even harder time about last week, let us welcome back to the show a stranger, quite frankly, at this point, producer Christine on her 40th birthday. And Christine, am I reliably informed that you are calling us from a spa? Is that right? I'm calling you from one of the most amazing day spas in New Jersey. I'm overlooking New York City sky. I could wave to you guys right now if you want me to. I'm overlooking the skyline of New York City. I'm ready to get into the infinity pool, and my salt cave time is coming you're, shortly. You're so, what? Sorry, your your salt cave? Yes, I'm going into a salt cave. What is that? And it's like involve it. It. I'm not really sure. I'll let you know. But apparently it detoxes you, which I definitely need. Like you sweat out and there's like salt blocks all around and it's 188 degrees. So I definitely after a week and a half of shenanigans, Cookie needs to detox. And this is the perfect place. There's no booze here either. So uh, this is the perfect place for me to end. Christine. End my vacation. Are you in rehab? So my husband... (laughs) wanted me to tell you that they needed one more day just to really detox me and then I can get back to work. <laughs> so you're, you're going to go into this very hot salt cave. Now, how does yes. that interact with your body 
with like the freezing therapy. Remember when you're doing like cryotherapy where you go and get frozen for a couple minutes? Are these complimentary services? Yes, and they have the cryo here as well. So we, my friend and I will be running back and forth, we decided. After we go do some more pool shenanigans, uh, we will do the salt cave and then run right into the ice box. This place is, I can't wait to, you have to come here. It's the most amazing, amazing spa. I'm not going to tell you where it is right now because I'm still here and we know I know we don't, people could follow me. Yeah, we don't want your public to go flocking in the paparazzi. You, you take so many efforts to avoid them and throw them off the scent, right? You're, you're, I can hear emergency vehicles actually. They're, they're after you, Cookie. They found you. They found you <laughs> from your undisclosed location. So I guess all of your, uh, your measures, your evasive measures didn't work. But are you, over the course of this spa treatment for your 40th birthday, are you doing like the works like pedicure manicure facial everything or everything wow we've done massages we've done uh facials i literally was the girl with the cucumbers this morning um we've done these invigorating baths where you get into a bath that's carbonated and it looks like like soda bubbles on your body and then they bring you to this cold cold waterfall and you sit under there and you're freezing and then they walk you through this foot bath that's all hard rocks and it's like reflexology for your feet. This is this, I, I've never been happier than this place before. This I, is very, I, I say Benson Retreat here. Very, very elaborate. So you have not been in New Jersey this whole time. You were supposedly in New Hampshire, although there were some rumors that you might have been supposedly. in California. Well, there was a whole story that. What? Oh, did you not hear the home stretch on Friday, Christine? I heard part of it where you accused me of uh, not being very helpful to Wyatt, and then called me Cookie the Unfriendly Ghost? Yes, I did call you Cookie yeah, the thanks. Unfriendly Ghost, because you ghosted us. You're like, hey, during the vacation, have me on the home stretch a few times. And then, just like a certain guest that's hard to book on this show, you were just <laughs> on vacation and we couldn't get in touch with you. And Wyatt, every day, is like, man, she, her people are tough. And again, I, I like to imagine that it's Megan. That you have do the dirty work to just to shut it down and tell Wyatt to pound sand because mama's sipping mama's juice on the lake. How was New Hampshire? Did the weather get better? I hope it was not. It was not great. The last two days were were good enough that we could get on the boat and get some sun and have some fun, you know, riding around. But no, the weather it, it was it was bad. It rained. We had to do. It. That's why, like when Wyatt would call, I was in the middle of the movies with the kids. Or we were trying to do different things with them to keep them entertained because we didn't want to just keep them in the house all day. Um, we've had definitely better weeks up in New Hampshire. I didn't see Governor Sununu, Chris. I don't know. I thought I would meet him at the same place, you know, at the same time like last year. Right, it's your thing. No such luck. Yeah, no such luck. So we'll work on that for next year. But I have to say, I really miss you guys. Like, I'm actually, I, I had a great time off, but I'm looking forward to getting back to the show, working with you guys. Like, I, I said to my family over the week, I'm so lucky because they were all dreading going back to work. And I said, I'm really lucky I don't have that feeling. And I truly mean it. Like, it's a, it's a cool feeling. And at 40, to, to have a great job with great, I mean, my best friends, uh, it, it, it's great. I'm, I'm happy. I couldn't be a happier girl right now. Well, that is very kind of you to say. So let me say something unkind, which is oh, we did wonder if maybe you weren't deliberately avoiding us last week, but you had just sort of 
forgotten or it slipped your mind that you had committed to doing it because, I mean, now that you're 40, you know, you're sort of getting up there, you might forget some things. Is that the true explanation or was this a deliberate snub? No, no, it really wasn't. I, I, if I could have, you know, asked them to pull the boat over, I would have. But I feel like my family just wasn't going to be accommodating with that. So, no, I, and, I, and th- Wyatt, I really appreciate that Wyatt, I noticed, fled the fifth and didn't say anything negative about producer Cookie. So I have trained Wyatt pretty well. Well, so except, I will, uh, except he was the one who gave me the idea. Maybe, you know, it was, it was Friday's show, wasn't it, where we played the clip from Kennedy? Yeah, where there was a woman who had to be rescued by firefighters in California, stuck, wedged between two buildings naked. And Wyatt suggested that this might have been you, which is why I was wondering if you truly were still in New Hampshire. So that was all Wyatt. So he's also he's learning from both of us, Christine. He's learning from both of us here. So how does it feel to be 40? Any different? You know what? I actually woke up this morning and I got a little panicky. I had like that moment of like sadness, like, oh, you know, I'm 40, like, you know, taking a reflection of what have I accomplished, you know, my personal life, my career and everything. And then throughout the day, especially at the spa, I'm like, oh, I'm 40. I, we, we're, we're doing good here. We're, we're good. And I watched a very, very um, inspirational video by the one and only Judge Judy, who said, when you turn 40, you're just getting started. So I'm going to take those words and Cookie's just getting started. So Girl, look that's out, actually guys, terrifying to hear you say that. <laughs> Judge Judith Scheinlin, I believe. Yes, uh, she I she does her. not mess around. Now, you waking up feeling a little bit panicky is not necessarily unusual though right that's sort of well, well yeah par for the course so that might actually suggest that things are just the same being nothing has changed from your 30s to your 40s you're still waking up in a panic i don't know if that's ever going to change but you know maybe a little <laughs> more inspiration from judge maybe we should book judge judy actually you know what that's what we're going to do we're going to book judge judy we're going to talk to her i would about- absolutely interview judge judy i would be scared i feel like she's <gasps> even yes. tougher than judgy joyce I wonder if oh. Judge Joyce and Judge Judy would get along. Oh. I think they might. Uh, yeah, Judge, we, uh, we went out to dinner last night with Judge Joyce, and we asked her for words of inspiration as I turned 40, and she just looked at me like I was crazy. She's like, get over it. It's a number. Come on. <laughs> you know, no, no, no nothing. nothing from her. Nothing, no, nothing. From, nothing from your mother. Well, from us, nothing. we are wishing you a very happy 40th birthday. And you're doing this marathon at the spa. I cannot imagine what you're racking up on the credit card. Poor Bobby. It seems like a big one. This is a big Can one. Can I tell you, my lunch, my see, all I got was a Caesar salad with chicken, and it was $25. Was He's got to go nuts. Was it good? <laughs> you know, it was not, it was not great. I mm. mean, it, it was okay. But uh, no, the Coca-Cola I got, or the Diet Coke, was five ninety nine. What? Yes. These prices at rehab are getting out of control, but we're excited that we'll have you back I'm here. Not at re- no, no, no! You can't tell people I'm at rehab. I'm not at, at the spa. It's a day spa. Okay, That's so it's, it's it, okay? restoration and rehabilitation. <laughs> That's what we'll call it. I think that works, and it and also a birthday celebration after more than a week of vacation. It's the last hurrah before it's back to the grind here on the show. And not to stress you out further and to send you 
into the evening in a panic. Tomorrow's going to be quite a squeeze for us because I have a train first thing in the morning to get back to D.C. I then have to do all of my laundry, repack, do the show from my house, then pack up all the equipment, repack, Uh get to the airport, and fly to Indiana for a speaking engagement. I'm not even spending one night at my house. So it's going to be a seat of our pants day tomorrow. We will have a terrific, many people are saying tremendous, show tomorrow. But behind the scenes, Christine, it's not just going to be like an easing back into it thing. So I hope that you come with your game face ready and hopefully fully relaxed from your day at the restorative and rehabilitatory, if that's a word, experience that you are currently enjoying. And I will let you go before the sort of rehab boss comes back and orders you back to the group conversation uh, for your for your therapy or, you know, where you all do accountability or whatever. Uh, but I'm glad that the detox is nearly complete. I can't with you. My husband really tried to steal my phone to get Wyatt's number yesterday, and he was going to call in from the, the head of the center of the rehab place saying that uh, we just need one more day and we think we'll get all the mama's juice out. And I forbade him for doing that. <laughs> so then we made the joke anyway. And I didn't even mm-hmm. know. See, there's a theme here. Obviously, you're not at rehab, but I'm making the joke. Your husband's making the joke. So there's a grain of truth. And with that, we'll let you go for one final exciting night. Your first night in your 40s. Congratulations for making it this far. Many people said you wouldn't. But you have. We are thrilled for you. Happy birthday, Christine. And we're looking forward to having you back full time running this ridiculous show tomorrow. Oh, I'm ready. Just be ready. You guys be ready. All the guests out there that I'm going to harass in the morning, you be ready. Everybody be ready. Yeah. All right. So uh, buckle up, folks. Cookie's coming back tomorrow. Tonight, I'm on Kennedy Fox Business Network, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll see you there and back here on the radio tomorrow. Have a great night. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.